welcome, and we're glad you've chosen to join us. Uh, your time is valuable. So we thought out how to have a conversation without actually having the outcome predetermined. It's an emerging community that we're inviting you into that takes the opportunity of a conversation to both be stimulated to a new insight, but then to build that into how a community can hold it, embody it, and take it out into the world. So listen in and be part. It's not the right drive. It's, it needs to be what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I put it up there as a as a symbol, if you will. Yeah. So I can look there and realize, quit trying to be perfect and be who you are. And so in my own study, when you mentioned that piece behind me, I want to tell you, because I knew, I know how you're thinking. I thought, okay, you can, you can appreciate yeah. my, my imperfect. Yeah. Well, that's inspiring. <laughs> you know, I have, um, I have this light fixture that I made. Um, I don't know how you can see that, but it's like, like falling apart. It's drooping. It's like, it won't stay on the wall. And it's, <laughs> I was really worked up about it um, because I kept trying so hard to make it, you know, because per- it's also highly geometric, right? It's got sharp, perfect shapes and angles. Right. So when it was starting to fall apart, I was getting really worked up. And then I realized, like, at, at the end of the day, like, it's. <laughs> it is. Alex, I'm, I'm totally with you there. Like I, and when I go down my work, I have a wood shop down the stairs. Okay. So for years when I was younger, I didn't know I liked working with my hands. I work with people, but when you work with people, you're never done. And there's a beauty to that, but you never step back from like a project made of material and say, that's finished. That fence is painted. That bookcase is built with people. You're always, so I found that I needed a part of my life and I'm, actually enjoyed it where I would go down to my wood shop and actually just make something and I would say it's done well then enter now that want to be a perfectionist so I go down to my wood shop and I'd want to oh it's not right I gotta read I gotta and I would think why am I down here stressing why am I down here with anxiety like this is supposed to be a part of my life I just come down to be creative Mm. and so I had to learn to say Whenever I go in my wood shop, I'm not trying to build the perfect piece. I'm trying to build the piece that I can build. Hmm. And that's different than yeah. what's perfect. And so I, I would quit looking at a shelf that I would build as if, is it perfect or not? And I would I'd literally say, this is the shelf that I built. Like, I just need to learn to live in my story hmm. holistically, rather than trying to perfect myself to be as good as someone else in their story. Mm-hmm. Like that was eating me up and just going down to something as simple as my own wood shop and just work with me, mm-hmm. helped me begin to put away the need to be perfect. And just to go ahead and be more real and authentic and, and wholesome in my own life and story. And it's, it's slowly helping me, but it's literally become, if you will, uh, um, a discipline or an experiential way to get my head into something that I can actually see it. Is that the best ashtray ever? No, it's just the one I built. Uh-huh. And that's okay now. That's good enough. That, does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting too, um, you know, working with, with people. Um, I, I, as, as you were saying that, like, I realized I derive a lot of satisfaction in a similar way, like um, with, with design. So there are aspects of design that are really kind of abstract and um, theoretical and, and a lot of strategy kind of thinking. And it's hard to know when you land on the right answer sometimes because you have to go put it out in the world and see what it does, you know? And it's so hard. true. But when I'm, when I'm moving around pixels on a screen and I can see that it's perfectly lined up like that, that kind of um, hits a little spot. And also though, Sometimes I struggle if I can't get it, you know, perfectly lined up, similar to how you would struggle, you know, building something in the shop. Oh, you're absolutely right. Like how many people have we listened to? Oh, go ahead. I didn't want to talk over you. That's fine. I was just going to say it's, um, it's such a blessing to receive a reminder when you're in it, when you're on it, um, for it to click all of a sudden and you realize like, oh, this is, this doesn't even matter. Like I'm just out here creating stuff. And that's like, right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm working on myself. I'm working with other people 
just helping us to be ourselves and not to be our preferred selves. Mm, yeah. Because when you can truly just go and be yourself, that's where you can actually show up more present. People can receive you. You work with less angst and actually you get more productivity and you actually sharpen your skills better off that platform than you do when this dissatisfaction or this idea that it's never enough or you're always pushing yourself, therefore you're always pushing your team. And now you got a culture of just kind of like pushing people. There's a, they're getting things done, but it's not in a healthy way, Yeah. right? And so it's, how do we begin to say as, let me put it in this, uh, this case, like in the perfection of that graphic that you can put together to say it couldn't be done better. Like even mathematically, that is perfect. Mm -hmm. well, when that engineer mindset moves over to working in team and people dynamics, yeah. you'll never get it like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you with me? So most people that get promoted are ones that can do their graphic work very well, but now they're in charge of a team that doesn't line up so precise. Now, who are you as a leader there? And how do you begin to work in that uh, environment, mm. right? And so it's so weird to think you have the strength of making things perfect graphically, but then you go over to the people you're trying to lead and they don't give you that same feeling. And so you don't think you're doing it as well, or you wonder, how do I measure my impact over here? Yeah. I know on the graphic when it's right, but when do I know it's right on the team? So people shy from leadership or they get less confident when in fact, they're just probably measuring the wrong things because they're trying to measure to perfection again. It's not fair to them, nor is it fair to the team. Yeah. Man, like thinking about like uh, a pushing. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, what? What can we do to get off of that? Like when we're when we're caught up, when we're feeling like this angst, this anxiety about like getting something right or getting something done quickly. Um, as you said, like you know, ten times out of ten times, people are a lot more effective and productive when they're not kind of stressed and and feeling a lot of pressure, and they're just kind of out there, you know, enjoying life and and just letting the creativity flow. How? What ways do you see to prompt that in a group or as a leader um, or to step in? Oh, that's a great question. Great question. Well, there'd be, you know, there'd probably be different answers on different days because there's different <laughs> ways to get to that. There's different teams, mm -hmm. but here's a general way I, that I listen when I'm working with somebody or working in my own life. When you're trying to take too many levels up from where you now are, you start to push, you start to have angst. If you're at a level four, and let's say there's 10 levels, and you've read about 10, and you've read the Harvard research that 10 is where everybody wants to be, and you're at four, and you go back and you sell 10 to your team, and you talk 10, and you're all about 10, it's too much angst and push, because what you need to do is go from four to five. Because there's still growth and there's movement and there's learning, but you don't have to have all the angst of trying to leap mm. and be more than you are able to be. So the expectation needs to come down to what's the next thing we can do as we're on our way to 10. But a lot of leaders just go from four to 10 because they got to push that team out and then people resist it mm. and they stay stuck at four. Um, does that make sense? Does that, yeah. I think generally speaking, people try to get too good too fast. It's counterintuitive, right? Like you, you think like, you know, if we want to grow really fast, um, we got to try really hard. Or That's we right. Get, like, you know, it's like shoot for the stars, land on the moon, right? Like we got to shoot for 15 if we want to hit 10. That's right. All, all good teams are at 15 and why aren't we at 15? And so even take that into a personal relationship, like with your partner, like when you begin to talk about a relationship you want to share with them, at first it's kind of really, the visualization of that is like a beautiful thing. It's very aspirational. It's like, oh yeah, wouldn't it be great if someday we, but if we don't come back and just kind of accept where we are and then learn to build the next step up, every time, if you don't do that, every time you start to 
bring up that big aspirational thing, your partner starts to hear that they don't measure up like you wish they would. Because you want to think it's just magical. So we should just be able to do it. Or maybe they're not enough. Because there's not really a process to go up there. There's just a big goal that's just stated. And after a while, that goal becomes a guilty charge to a team or relationship that isn't experiencing just the movement of the next step up. And I think in life, we grow incrementally to our, our goal, right? And the young leader is all excited about, oh, I finally know my goal. The seasoned leader is someone who says, okay, given that, how do I come back down to where this team is? And we begin to take the next step up. As you share the big goal, you also share the process of getting there. You and I both are coming around to a lot of folks don't have the process. So they don't have that good feeling of, hey, we just took a step from three weeks ago. All they know is, hey, we're still four levels off the big goal. That's a dissatisfying culture for teams to try to perform in. It doesn't help the leader and it doesn't help the team. Whereas the same team could just take the next step on their way to the goal and they would feel the movement, the motion that they're actually learning from each other. Now they have a confidence of moving on. I think that's how we just grow and change as human beings. And leaders need to kind of understand and work in their own lives and in the life of their team on that kind of a trajectory, if you will. Man, that got me thinking um, about the the guilt that comes with high expectations that are not yet realized. Um, And that can be super paralyzing for people in in all facets of life. you know, because you want you want to make people proud. You want to you want to serve people. Like you have the high goals because hopefully that's also reaching some high impact. Um, and you know, you want to make a difference for the world. So like, how how can you balance like striving for mm-hmm. you know, large goals and not getting caught up in like the guilt of not being there yet or not it's having the process yet? It's a great question because I think too often the reason the question resonates with me teams don't realize that their main motivator is guilt. The culture then becomes, don't get shamed here. So now you're meeting deadlines or you're pursuing goals really out of a fear factor rather than a culture that's saying, hey, how do we produce health and take the next step up and keep realizing? So that's why your question so resonates with me is there are teams getting a lot done by way of guilt. And what they don't know is the guilt's going to eat them up in time. So short game, they got their goal, but if they did it by guilt, their long game is going to destroy them. And in a guilt culture, the more wins you have by guilt, the greater the fallout just ahead. Because you're not learning how to source your team health and team dynamic on a sense of encouragement, vulnerability, talking honestly about where we are on the goal. What do you need from me? What can I give to you? Uh, You don't have those conversations in a team that's being motivated by by guilt. So your question is, how do you develop? How do you, how can we move away from guilt? Am I hearing you right? You wanna say more about that or am I getting that? Yeah, yeah, I mean like, and especially in the face of trying to accomplish something really meaningful, I think, you know? Yeah, because like for I'll say for me like a lot of what I'm up to in life is to have hopefully a, a really positive impact on you know hopefully a lot of people, um, and so that desire I think is beautiful and also sometimes you know when I look at the scoreboard and I'm down you know 18 um, going into the half it's like man this is tough and like I I'll realize and. Also, sometimes I'm really thankful people will help me realize that, like, I'm over here beating myself up because the scoreboard isn't, you know, I'm not winning yet. Yeah. And this is a goal that's really important to me and important to the world. And, um, you know, why I'm, I get, like, frustrated. Like, why is this not happening yet? Like, how am I showing up that's leading to this not being realized? And so what is there to do about that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Gosh, you're saying it so well. We're only like 16 minutes into this conversation. You've you've already gone in such a great deep 
path because it's really where we're living out of. We're living from this depth. And sometimes we just don't have people to take us there. So thank you. <laughs> Again, because like that's the level we want to see the change, the transformation on. What comes to mind to your question is when I'm looking to results, I have a big, beautiful desire, you said. It's to change the world. And I know how I want to do it, right? And I'm not there yet. So why does that come back as accusing me that I'm not enough? Why does that result, that early first quarter or halftime score, mm -hmm. come back and accuse me that I don't belong on that field? Like I should have never put the uniform on, like, right? Because the result is what I'm measuring myself by. And here's the truth about results is you really don't determine them. Mm -hmm. You can contribute to what an outcome is, but there's not a person I've met that can actually determine mm -hmm. and control what the outcome will be. Now their fingerprints will be all over it and their gifts and their contributions. I mean, it wouldn't happen without them, but just because they've named it as their goal doesn't mean they're guaranteed to get it. But if you think you determine the outcome, then you have stress from your beginning to the hope of that outcome. That whole time is you saying, my results aren't good enough yet. I'm not all the way there yet, okay? All right, so we're gonna put that on the shelf, but that's one way we can relate and we see why a score or a result comes back and accuses us. Another way to look at it is if you have a big, beautiful desire and you know it's your calling and vocation to go give that to the world, then a way you can relate to that is to be faithful to that. That's different than controlling it. That's different than you're guilty if you don't get it done. Most great leaders were faithful to some outcome they never got to live long enough to see turn all the way out. But they didn't let that stop them from giving their most sincere and truest effort because they learned the value of being faithful to something rather than to measure it as, did I do it or did I not? Now let's talk about that, because I don't know if that's slippery, but I can be faithful to being accountable. I can be faithful to being vulnerable. I can be faithful to working every day with my best. I can be faithful to that. I don't know if I can turn out the result given all the variables and the things that can change that are out of my control. So I want to pause. I'm going to say a little bit more about that, but does that track at all? Or do we need to clean that up to make that understandable? Yeah, I think that is, I think you just hit it like that. The desire for control, um, I think is so tied to our, our ego. It's the thing that keeps us alive. The thing that tracks what's going out in the, you know, what's going on in the world and, and am I safe and, um, is this going to work out? And it just kind of um, pollutes the water when you're trying to get something done. And if you can release the need for control and like submit yourself to the faith of the process, I think that is kind of where a lot of this hits a switch. You're really, you're saying it back really clear. That's it. If you live in a headset of, wow, my results are telling me whether I'm good at it or not, you'll choose smaller and smaller risk projects mm -hmm. and your life will shrink because what you don't know is that you're selling yourself on if you can't turn it into the outcome, you're no good at it. So you'll take smaller outcomes and you'll do smaller change in the world. Mm -hmm. That's a problem in the long so you feel like you're making traction, but you choose such little things that you can control that your life ends up not really bringing the impact. If you go back and go to the other model, which is you remain faithful to a sense of your own, what do I want to be about in the world every day I wake up? That faithfulness will take you to something that's so impactful in the world in a way that you can't measure it because it's not so small. It actually can be so much greater if you'll let go of control. Mm. If you'll get your ego out of the way, which is, hey, are my results good enough? And if you'll put your faith in there, if I just show up every day to be faithful to this thing that I've given my life to, you'll actually see a life more measurable and impact when you go the faithful route. 
and you just said it, I'm just trying to put it back into that kind of path talk, if you will, yeah. just so we can contrast the two, because there's nothing wrong with results unless they start telling us that mm. we need to take small projects because that's the ego getting massaged. So the funder says, oh yeah, I don't know, you did your project. And, but the faithful person takes on a massive harm or ism in the world and works consistently every day, not needing to see result stroke their ego. That person at the end of their life looks back and realizes that they serve something so beautiful and real that their life mattered every day. And there will be results to that. They just didn't let the results become the driving force of why they're doing what they're doing. Can we, can we make sense of that? Can we hang stories on that? Is that like, can you look back in history and see really impactful lives that literally just said, no, I was kind of faithful every day to these values that mattered most and the results took care of themselves versus, mm. yeah, you know what? I could never get that result done. So I chose something smaller and smaller. And then we realized, yeah, you didn't, you didn't live your full life mm. too worried about the results you were getting. Something like that. Man, that's a lot. Uh, I know, I know. That's why we're kind of repeating yeah, it. It's like, yeah, I kind of think about it. Um, it's, I think it's just so relieving to be able to um, see it that way. And then now I'm like looking all, all over my life, like where am I more focused mm. on control um, than on outcomes and, and, or not even outcomes, just effort or, or, yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and like, how can I, how can I just give that up? Exactly. How can I be faithful to the things that matter most? Just be, you know, how can I continue to show up and not break faith with the things that matter most? And I call that just like making daily contributions. You know, you're not generally living your life. You're like, no, I still can measure it. I can still live in a structured path. I can still plan Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but I'm doing it in a headset of how can I continue to be faithful to these things rather than, wow, in two weeks, if that doesn't turn out the way I thought it was, I'm like, I'm done with it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm on to another. And I'm like, oh, I, I get that. But that person's looking for something big enough in life to simply quit reading the results to find out if they're living good or not. And they're actually being faithful every day to the person that they know they've got to be. Yeah. So, I mean, way to look back over your life and just go, okay, who would I be if I just live faithfully? Mm. You'll still yeah. work very hard. You'll work, you'll sacrifice, you'll work hard, but you'll have meaning in your life versus a delayed gratification for a result five years down the road. That'll tell you, you finally did it right. Um, that's, that's a tough carrot with a long stick on it. I think that's where I get mixed up is so desperately wanting to find meaning in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then I go about that by looking for results and mm -hmm. measuring. Um, instead of looking at, you know, what am I doing? What am I, who am I being? What am I contributing? I'm looking at like, you know, the scoreboard instead. Oh, of that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. No, you just said it really well, because there is a deep resonating sense that has a great reward for you to just say, you know, I showed up today. I showed up. I, I was I was faithful as I could be today. There yeah. really is a great sense of meaning right there to be greeted. And yet the project's not done and not everything's finished. You know, but that's such a healthier way to be relating to your life and your skills. Instead of, well, you know, today it's over and I didn't get to the project. And, you know, there's still a lot of, I don't know how it's going to turn out yet. I'm living without meaning. And I'm trying to make my work give me the meaning by the results that I can hang my hat on. Well, that's almost like a pipe dream. That's like every time you reach for it, it scoots another two feet out. And you reach for it, it scoots another. And it's like, oh, I got to learn how to have meaning every day when I just finish a faithful amount of work and come back to myself and say, I can be grateful. And tomorrow I'll do the same. And the day after I'll do the same and I'll call that my life. And everything on that platform is gonna get done that I'm here to do. Um, 
kind of cool to think about how then do we organize around the things that matter most in our work and be faithful to them. Uh, but you're, you're saying it back so well. And that brings us right back to the, the perfectionism thing. It's like letting go of being perfect and just showing up is kind of the whole game. I think so in a big way. And that's really scary talk to people that wear the shell of perfectionism in order to be worthy of it or, or you know, in order to be uh, affirmed. Um, and I'm a recovering perfectionist. Like every day I'm converting mm. from possibly waking up, hoping it's a perfect day and then having to say to myself early on, hey, don't seek perfection today. Live faithfully. Just try to be whole. Show up with who you are, with what you have. And that's, that's been such a healthier way for me to realign. And I'm finding out I'm not sleeping on the couch all day because, you know, hey, results don't matter. I find myself actually getting much better results. Yeah. And the key, the key result I, the key result I want it is that I like my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And that, that has me thinking like about, you know, how, how can I myself in my life kind of move towards living in faith and, and contributing to the world and not sleeping on the couch all day, but like being called to do something and then just, you know, showing up for that thing um and and not get caught up in the guilt and the lack of results and the measuring um and the ego and i think you know a thought that just popped in my head is like what more beautiful way to do that than to show compassion for other people who are probably doing something similar and what better reminder for myself than to go out and celebrate imperfection and celebrate people's faith and showing up and kind of like you know that like just highlight that out in the world um what a gift for other people that could be and and for myself you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no matter what your vocational track is you know somebody's going about today and fix a leaky pipe. Someone's going to go out today and write software and someone else is going to go out today and maybe do surgery. Okay. And so you're like, well, wouldn't the surgeon be like maybe the best kind of person? And then maybe, maybe writing like really good software. And then I guess, you know, I guess if you're going out to fix a leak, it'd be like, see, we rank and file people inappropriately. All three of those have the opportunity to go out in the world today and bear the things that matter most. Well, what is that? Well, if you're aware that you wanna be a compassionate person, then you measure your day to your faithfulness on compassion. And all three of those people can go out and spread compassion in a wonderful way in the world today. And sometimes you find the people with the, like in this particular scenario, and it's sad, but we would maybe say the person fixing the leak would be the less desired occupation. Sometimes you find those people carrying the most compassion because they don't have the arrogance or the expertise to be holding all the power in the room where they're employed. It's hard for the leader who holds the most power to sometimes model the most compassion because sometimes power has a problem with knowing what compassion shows up like in a, when you're holding that kind of high rank. Sometimes it's the person with the least that is more free to not be caught up in their ego and arrogance. And they just come into your home and they take off their shoes and they fix the leak and they, they find meaning in that simple thing. And compassion is kind of like can flow. And I know I'm being a little romantic there, but I'm just saying, look at a picture. And that person goes home that night. And that's the quality of faithfulness that gave their life meaning. And it could show up in any one of these three. We're not against power. You have to really be aware of it with the more power you have. Of how do you remain faithful to the things that you want to be about in your life and in the world? Compassion, courage, curiosity, 
all of those can go into whatever vocational track if we want to be faithful to them. Um, does that help? Does that play in your mind or does that raise? Yeah, that brings me to, now I'm curious about, I think I love the quote from Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm now trying to imagine like how one with relatively, you know, more power than others, um, it, there then they become a lot more leveraged in a lot of ways as they're acting in their power and their ability to impact other people. So like, how do people with a lot of power, mm-hmm. um, like almost like you were saying, like there's an arrogance that can easily arise um, with the ego kind of getting involved in, in those scenarios. So what mm-hmm. can one do when they do hold a lot of power to be even more conscious yeah. of Great question. Great. Really a strong question. And you're putting your finger on what's missing in so many of our models of leaders in our country today. Right? I mean, so thank you, because what you're what you're really looking down, it, it matters a great deal. It's not a matter of do you have enough strengths to possess the powerful position? What I do when I'm working with people's lives and what we're trying to do at B2 Labs is to grant you all the power your character can afford. I want to help people get all the power that their character can afford. I don't want to see people get power because of their strengths or their charisma or their beauty or their fame. We want to help people that have influence and power match it with the character that can actually do well with it. A person with a lot of power, but with a lack of character is a scary person to be holding the power. And we have a lot of leadership in our country that has been granted power and we don't know where they got their character formation. And all the MBA programs and business schools help you go get your power, but they might have an optional course or two on what might matter as moral courage or character or even self-awareness. And so we're graduating future leaders that will move to positions of power unbeknownst of the thing you're talking about, which is, well, how do we know they have a character that can afford the power? And why isn't that a legitimate question for our country? Like, how can we be intelligent people and say we don't have good answers or at least paths to get leaders formed in a character that can bear the power. Is that oversimplifying it or is that, no, I, is that hitting that's, home? Or, that's hitting home. And now another question I have is, you know, I think I've been blessed with exposure to certain people and experiences and ideas that give me some level of of self-awareness and it's growing every day. It's something I'm committed to. Um, I'm wondering how can I be of service and empowering to people who possess higher levels of power that might struggle with the character side, who might be over leveraged Hmm. on their power? What can I do to support them building themselves to meet the level of power that they possess? It's a great question. I really like it. I was asked that two weeks ago by someone in an organization, and I had never heard the question before. <laughs> it, it, the question has a lot of beauty in it, because most times we ask, how can I have that person's power and do it better because they're not doing it well? Mm. Right? And I love the way you're coming at it, which tells me a lot about your character, in that when I see a leader maybe even on whose team or in an organization that I'm serving under that leader, how do I help them become a, a leader of more character, right? And I think what, came, what comes to my mind initially is to let them be a person in your presence mm. and not just the role of a leader in your organization, 
So that might sound like you might be one of the few employees that say, uh, hey, you know, I'm wondering how you're doing uh, with the load that you're carrying. Um, I, I noticed last week at the end of the meeting, there just seemed to be an abrupt finish, just circling back around to see how you're, how you're carrying that as a person. Um, you'd be surprised that the leader who's not used to that will disregard that comment quickly because you're, you're looking for intimacy. You're looking for to treat them like a person and most leaders don't know how to take that. And they're afraid that if we get too close to each other, then their power to make decisions that might affect you will get clouded because they might start to like you. Now they can't fire you or whatever that feeling is. Yeah. But the leader gets very lonely because the leader has power and everyone else on the subservient level to that can't be personal to the leader. And so what you do is you kind of begin to put a crack in that system by appropriately just saying, hey, just checking in, was thinking about hey, however your morning was and uh, just wanted you to know, I think about the load you carry. You don't even have to put it in a question form. You just start playing in a message that starts to change the dynamic and the pattern that most leaders uh, have to play in yeah yeah now that's a little thing but i i think in time you put little investments into a pattern almost like the earlier thought we talked you don't go from level four to level 10 and say oh they just couldn't respond you just start to put the little investment in the way that you relate to that leader so that they begin to realize that you care about them as a person while they're leading rather than always relating to them through their role as a leader yeah is that, I mean, is that tangible enough? Is that? Yeah, no, like that, I've never even, that thought's never crossed my mind. I've never seen that modeled anywhere in life, I don't think. I know, uh, it's crazy. It's someone crazy. checking in on, uh, you know, an authority figure in their mm -hmm. organization. Mm -hmm. like, hey, like, how, how are things? Alex, you, you brought us there. And it's so wise that you brought us there because it's a two-way street, but it's only played one way in most organizational cultures. And that's why you and I both are feeling empathy right now for the leader. Yeah. Because we're realizing everyone that talks to the leader all day long doesn't even think they can treat them more personally. It's more like through the role of a function. Yeah. And so no wonder you're isolated and alone at the top. Mm -hmm. And everyone else just says that's the way it is. And it's best that way because mm -hmm. you get into these emotions where you start caring about each other and they can get weird. And in fact, you and I basically said, no, no, the healthy organization has an emotional EQ that accompanies the leadership grid. And therefore there can be some healthy, hey, I'm, I know you're my boss, but you're also a person, you know? And I've seen the midnight oil going on for a couple of weeks. Just know that I'm thinking about you. I mean, that message can be one of the rare personal messages that leader has heard in the last three days. Yeah. And believe me, it carries impact. They might not act like it right off the bat, but it carries impact because they're always a person. There's always an appetite to be cared for. Yeah. Right? That's beautiful. I, I think that's one way. And I would say little contributions over a longer period begins to help you become someone who's helping that leader uh, feel like there's people that care and that are looking out for them in an organization. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like um, nurturing their humanity in the Always. context of, of the workplace. Like we, we leave that out a lot of times, um, unfortunately in our kind of Western civilization for sure. Um, so yeah, just bringing humanity to, to your colleagues and your, the people that you work with. We, this will be a little more provocative of a statement than probably is fair, but to make the point overemphasizing it, we almost make of our leader, leaders uh, celebrity status, or we make them even better than they are because we want to believe this organization only hires the best. So we profile our leaders with the kind of uh, expectation 
that really removes them often from their own humanity. Mm. And when your humanity becomes divorced from your role, you have to make a hard choice. But when you're paid and referred to every day by your role, then your humanity or personality begins to be less seen, right? And I know this, working with leaders over the years, most people lose their personality to their role. Okay, what does that mean? Oh, they were funny until about the second year of the job and they're not funny anymore. Because the role doesn't need somebody to bring their humor. The role needs things to get done. Then you slowly begin to lose some of your humanness in your professional life. And so by the end of that kind of long run, people are so ready to get out of their role because they need to go back and find themselves again. And it isn't that they got a lot done, but they lost their personality to their role. And like you said, in so many words, you know, we can do better than that. You, you know, empathy comes by someone bringing their humanity into their role. Mm. And if a leader doesn't have empathy, then, you know, that really begins to undermine and demise their own leadership. Uh, so you're right. We have to carry our humanity appropriately into the working relationships we have with each other and keep calling out our humanity to each other. Mm. And, and, and just being, just uh, playing witness to someone's humanity. Like it could be a great compliment to a leader to say, yeah, I love your sense of humor, right? Because they're not paid for their humor. But you're, you're actually saying to her, you know, I love it when you do this. And you're naming a, you know, just a piece of their humanity. I mean, that's a healthy workplace. Yeah, so I, I mean, I like that part. Yeah, the world needs so much more of that. Um... We're here to we're here to preach that, <laughs> yeah, aren't we? I mean, I think that's where the bee do laughs, which is you know the name of this arc that we're uh, talking inside of. Like, bring your being, your humanity, your personhood. Dare we say your character mm. into what you do? Because there's been a split in Western society, and we need to begin to realize that when we bring our being into our doing, our doing becomes meaningful and supports our being in the world. And then when our being is healthy, we have even more to give to our doing. And there's this rotation between bring, be, uh, bringing my being into what I do and shape what I do in such a way that it enhances my being. And that's called professional life and personal life, you know, and we don't need to split those but we need to figure out what is the healthy relationship between the two. Yeah, so I mean, you're right on to say, this is what we wanna, this is the conversation we wanna be having on a practical level, but that's the general theme of like, why it's important, why it's valuable. And now I'm thinking of, you know, what opportunities have I had where people were reaching out to me, to help me with my character? And how can I be more aware and more ready to receive mm -hmm. that yeah. help, that contribution? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, what you help call it for me is when someone compliments me or encourages me, I, I, I move that moment so fast off of the, off of the, uh, the consciousness. Oh, thank you. You're being kind. Let's, and I want to move on. Okay, so right there, like when we give each other gratitude in the workplace, why not build some type of understanding or let's take that, like let's sincerely say thank you. You know how that actually pulls me forward or that means a lot to me that you would say that because, wow. and you know what I'm saying? Because we are doing this humanity in our workplace but we so quickly are oh yeah well you know i don't want to i mean that's too much about me or i don't want to you know embarrass you but i just want to tell you, you did a good job or and we don't actually know how to let that moment uh permeate our relationship so that now we're stronger because we had this moment rather than you gave me a compliment i hurried up and dished it and i don't think yeah. about it again 
and now I'm I'm discouraged. Like, oh, he didn't even appreciate my compliments. So I'm it not can, gonna do that again. <laughs> it can sure it can sure go there. The the neuroscience on that is they say if you hear a negative comment about yourself within a second it's in your brain and probably later that night when you go to sleep and lay your head on the pillow you pull that negative comment out and you kind of polish it like a piece of brass can you yeah. believe they said that i mean that's so on the other hand when you are given a positive comment like off the cuff yeah you have to hold it in your mental space for seven seconds for it to actually imprint into your brain that you really? might remember it later that evening wow our reptilian brain is so much more open to receive and confirm negativity than the new executive function of the frontal cortex to actually hold a positive image of myself takes me six to seven seconds. And then I might be able to put it into my memory and therefore carry it with me and let that gratitude kind of shape. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm making some progress in that area. Um, isn't that crazy, Alex? That Yeah, it I mean, is. <laughs> And that, I mean, um, I can I can relate. Um, in the in the past, I've I've often been pretty. You know, I like to think of it as like humility. I've been humble. It's like if people want to praise me, like I'll say thank you. But you know, sometimes I'll not knowing how to be with someone appreciating me, even though it's so funny because that's the thing that we crave all day long out in our lives. And when we finally get it, we're we're so shy to be with it. We uh, take. We take praise so uh, so quickly and exit it out, and then we take negativity so personally, and we just sit with it. And like we just have to observe that, as the workplace is working in that kind of a condition. That's a tough way to build and help people grow in the workplace if that's the mindset that they're already predisposed to, right? So part of just the helpful way, the wise way to handle that is like you and I are saying, well, let's just put that up there and actually start to note that. Yeah. And then let's just walk a day where maybe even in our company culture, the email that went out that morning is, hey, today when you hear something good, you get seven seconds at least to pause before you go on to your next test. You know, gamify it, make it fun, but actually help people realize, okay, my work is actually the lab where I can start to rewire some of this stuff that I do all the time. It's mm -hmm. not healthy. Like now going to work is more meaningful because it is the place where I'm seeing this development really be, you know, uh, encouraged and there's an accountability there, right? You can get together then in a staff meeting or a team meeting and say, hey, look, we know what we're working on this week of holding positive comments. So before we get onto the work agenda, we're going to take the first four minutes and I want to start with Alex. Alex, what are the two or three encouraging messages that you've and I'm only have to take five minutes of the whole meeting to do that. But if I start that, you know that meeting is going an entirely different, healthy yeah. way when we get to the work agenda. And uh -huh. the work agenda will take less time. Yeah. Because we're in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. And so there's a practice to actually get there. And you're taking, you know, personal development and business strategy, and you're just moving that together. And you're getting more uh, results like we were talking about earlier and you're just being faithful yeah. to a high awareness that we're gonna encourage each other and build a culture that does that. Yeah. Sign me up for that. <laughs> I'm up for that too, man. And it's possible. I mean, there are people doing it, right? But it's good that you're asking the questions that get us there. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been great to hear you. I mean, I've so appreciated the way that you've allowed these thoughts just to in your own mind, just go, hey, that brings me to this thought or that takes me to this, this question. Um, I like your voice in the world, Alex. I've seen your work. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, and your graphic ability. You have a way of taking some of the meaningful words that I'm trying to verbalize and you've been able to put those in images or graphics that symbolize the meaning. And so many people pick it up by being captured by the beauty of a graphic or the image mm -hmm. that resonates. Sometimes words get argued with. Yeah, but you didn't say it this way. Yeah, but, but when you show them something beautiful, mm -hmm. they're almost defenseless. And you have this ability to take meaningful language or concepts and make them into images where people are almost, I mean, how can you not roll down your window and wanna to talk to that, right? <laughs> <laughs> right and i think 
culture and workplaces are looking for ways of just even symbolizing this faithfulness to things that matter most. And the results always going to have to be important, but results don't bring you back to meaning. Um, they don't always bring you back to beauty. And results can determine, if overdriven, a culture of guilt and shame and angst and drive. And there's some short-term wins, but there's not a long-term healthy development of a team there. Uh, so I think you and I unpacked a good conversation. Yeah. By your questions. So thanks for yeah. Thanks for doing that. Thank you for for the praise. Um, it's sincere. With that for seven seconds now. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, but yeah, I I can't begin to express how much I look forward to the conversations that we have. They're always so inspiring. So um, so heartfelt. You know. Um, thanks. Thanks. Well. I love I love reaching down and and being able to touch and, and connect with our humanity. Um, yeah, and, thanks for that. Yeah, and then then we're charged up, and we can go and take that out in the world. Oh man, you reminded me today that anytime someone gets really good at something, we almost quit thinking of them as a human, mm. and we start to think of them just as that yeah. that person, right? And when we do that, we begin to undermine sometimes what they want most in their life, which is just to be known, to belong. Yeah, um, you know, they almost become a commodity of what everyone can be. We can all be as great as, and we forget that um, they are persons developed in one way, but still living a pretty ordinary life in a number of ways. And we can build cultures where a whole person can get uh, encouraged. And uh, humanity is, is a big deal of what DDo Labs wants to be about, right? Developing the leader from a human perspective. Um, and taking with your strengths your whole life. Um, so thanks for the questions. Thanks for the thanks for the conversation today. It's good to be with you, man. Yeah, for sure. Until next time, then Barry. All right, and I hope that's soon. Okay. Yeah, soon. All right. All right. Thanks a bunch. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye bye. So that was another conversation. And again, thank you for joining us because the contributions each of us made and built on gave us not only something to value in the moment, but now we walk out into the world. So the purpose of BDU Labs is not just to grab time from you, but to actually give your time more purpose in the next step you take in your life. So embody it, practice it, and come back for more. Thanks for being part of our community.